Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm your host today, Eric Sperling, and our guest is the knowledgeable and highly respected Dr. Thomas A. Atchison. Tom is the president and founder of Atchison Consulting, LLC, where he advises senior healthcare executives, managers, trustees, and physician leaders on managed change programs, team building, and leadership development. He has also consulted for the military, healthcare vendors, and government agencies on the intangible aspects of healthcare. Tom Dirt is doctorate degree in organizational behavior at Loyola University of Chicago and is a longtime member of ACHE. He has taught several courses and has written numerous articles and books, including his most recent release with ACHE's Health Administration Press titled Reignited Employee Engagement, a guide to rediscovering purpose and meaning in healthcare. So we'll definitely get into that a bit today. And he'll be leading the Employee Engagement Boot Camp as part of the 2002 or excuse me, 2022 Congress on Healthcare Leadership in March. You can register now at ACHE.org slash Congress. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for uh, inviting me, my friend. All right, let's get right into it. Uh, To start, let's define employee engagement. I know it's one of those phrases that we all generally, I would say, understand, but it's applied in the workplace with such a broad brush here. So how do you define employee engagement in the new book we just described? Okay, to keep it uh, fairly simple, uh, Eric, I I describe and uh, use employee engagement as a word that represents a continuum from low engagement to high engagement. Let me explain what I mean. Um, I often use three questions to describe the level of engagement an individual has with an organization. Number one, a person, I ask a person, do you have a job? Number two, do you have a career? Number three, do you have a calling? When you think about engagement and the level of connectedness to an organization, does a person go to work because it's a job and they need a paycheck and that's their level of connectedness, their level of engagement is the amount of money they're earning from doing a task. Uh, Number two, do they go to work because they're excited about uh, the career development, learning new things, getting part of a a high performing team? In other words, they go to work because they want to grow their uh, professional skill set. Or number three, do they go to work because quite honestly, that's why I was put on this earth. We call it a calling. The highest level of engagement is where the work actually transcends self-interest. In other words, a person isn't concerned about a a paycheck. They're not concerned about a career. They're they're really concerned about what they can contribute to society as a whole through their work effort. So uh, that's how I use engagement. Just um, as a description of a continuum from low uh, paycheck to high transcendent, um, transcending self-interest. I love that, Tom. And let's talk about metrics now, metrics that measure employee engagement, as you were just describing, and maybe some of those intangible elements that aren't as easy to measure, but also indicators in their own way. Well, let's, yeah, I'll start with the tangibles. The most useful tangible metric is uh, uh, what most human resource departments already do, and that is they measure turnover rates and ease of recruitment. If you have high turnover or low turnover, or you have high ease of recruitment, um, high ease of recruitment or low, low, uh, low ease of recruitment. Those are indicators of um, the degree of engagement. Uh, the intangibles, which uh, I agree with you, are, the, are more important, are a little bit more elusive to common metrics. Um, you want to you talk to somebody about 
uh, the notion of pride and joy. Um, one of the techniques that I recommend to a lot of people is uh, a re-recruitment interview. In other words, a lot of organizations do what they call exit interviews. When a person leaves, they interview the person about why they're leaving, what their job was like, their relationship with their manager, et cetera. I'm uh, not a big fan of those. I think they can be highly uh, contaminated with the emotions of uh, dependent on why the person left. So I, I, I tend to downplay exit interviews and upplay re-recruitment interviews. Now, uh, what this means is you find your highest performers, the people that have been there the longest time <clears throat> and are producing at a very high level consistently. You go up to those people and you ask them a couple questions like, what is it about this organization that you find so attractive? What, what um, do you find in this organization that, want, uh, that you keep coming back to every day? Um, uh, the simplest question I ask is, where do you find the most pride in your work? Where do you find the most joy in your work. Of course, then I always ask, where do you find the least amount of pride, the least amount of joy? And those would be areas where a manager would want to try to um, change. So the notion of um, intangibles is focus on pride uh, in work, focus on joy. What are the um, what are the key indicators? Uh, those are the key indicators of the level of engagement from my point of view. Well, some simple and fantastic advice there. Let's shift now into what's going on right now, because we know employee engagement levels obviously differ from organization to organization. Um, and when you look at the data and you look at the evidence from across the country and with everything going on right now, how would you describe the state of workforce engagement at this point in time? Well, I think you, um, your question uh, has an answer in it, and that is it's widely variable. I don't know that we could generalize uh, any uh, specific uh, type of hospital, medical school, large tertiary care center, rural, I don't think we could identify anyone as having a more or less advantage with engagement. Uh, it all comes down to leadership. And in the book, I talk about uh, an old theory by a guy named McGregor that talks about theory X and theory Y. Now, theory, theory X uh, executives tend to see people as uh, just, just interchangeable parts that people need a carrot and a stick to be motivated, that they're, they're really, uh, they're really uh, no sense of uh, investing in them because they're just uh, replaceable. Uh, theory why people uh, are the ones that look at people as highly motivated, worthwhile, and worthy of respect and contribution. So um, uh, the issue about uh, where we are right now is a function of the leadership style. The uh, issue that I, I bring up in the book a number of times is that all humans, um, whether you're working or not working, uh, are motivated by essentially three things. Uh, number one, human beings want to be respected. They want to be valued. Number two, they want to have some control over their life, some control over the decisions that affect their lives. And number three, they want to have a reasonable pay and benefits in work, and they want to have a reasonable lifestyle outside of work. So when we're talking about the variation across the United States in terms of engagement, all you have to do is look at the leadership style and the corporate culture of the organization, and you can tell um, immediately uh, whether they're high engagement or low engagement of the, uh, the staff and the physicians. All right. Something we have talked about a lot on the Healthcare Executive Podcast, uh, burnout. 
And throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, healthcare leaders have tried to maintain employee engagement, prevent burnout, different efforts, uh, team building, resilience. And, you know, in your book, you mentioned that resilience training is an incomplete solution to the problem of burnout. So explain that for us. Why is that? Okay, here's here's a situation. And, and that, again, this is one of the triggers for the book. Um, prior to COVID, which would be 2018, 2019, I would say that over 60% of my work was uh, resilience training with physicians. Well, after doing several interventions, I came to the conclusion that uh, the resilience training is putting a Band-Aid on a uh, hemorrhaging uh, artery. Um, in the book, I talk about the boiling frog uh, story. Uh, it's a very common story where if you take a frog and you put it into a pot of boiling water, the frog will immediately jump out. Whereas if you take a uh, pot of water that's room temperature, you put a frog in it and you slowly bring the pot to boil, the frog will just not do anything except uh, terminate its life. So what I was saying is uh, in resilience training, we're not going after the fundamental reason that we have so much stress and burnout. Uh, we're actually training frogs to like hot water. And I thought that's, that's just not a very smart deal. It's like the stress is going to continue. Uh, you're being treated like a cog in a wheel is going to continue. The focus on profitability is going to continue. So let me give you some uh, anecdotal psychological tools to deal with this crazy world that you live in called healthcare. Well, I think we need to take a look at the, what's causing the stress. And that's where I say that the resilience training is incomplete because it's not dealing with the fundamental reason that people are dealing with stress, anxiety, frustration, exhaustion, you know, all that stuff that we talk about when we talk about um, burnout. Um, in the book, I, I talk about a woman uh, up in um, Dartmouth-Hitchcock, Karen Clements, who's the, uh, a senior nurse officer for Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in uh, Lebanon, New Hampshire. Uh, I mean, that's just one of many examples, but Karen is an outstanding leader and is very focused on, you know, we, uh, when I interviewed her in the interviews in the book, uh, she talks about how, yeah, we have to deal with these stressful realities of COVID and, and all the other stuff that's going on with COVID in our medical school, medical center and university hospital, but we have to take care of each other. So she has a whole spectrum of uh, interventions and, and daily activities that help people understand the importance of their work without going across that exhaustion, frustration, anxiety, fatigue factor. And so um, uh, there are people out there that say, yes, we deal with a complex situation in COVID and post-COVID. However, um, we don't have to hurt ourselves. We can take care of each other and in the, and um, during this very difficult time. So, um, don't just train frogs to like hot water. Actually figure out what the problem is and fix the problem. So that's my, that's what uh, I talk about in the book quite a bit. Mm. All right. Well, let's go back to what you're saying about, about calling and, and talk a little bit about meaning and purpose and, you know, maybe what that has to do with some of the burnout going on. Um, the importance of workers finding meaning and purpose in the healthcare industry. So uh, from your perspective, what dynamics are causing this loss of meaning and purpose? Uh, it's been it's been a slow um, change from healthcare, and I've been in healthcare over forty years. Um, healthcare used to be a place where people went 
with the singular focus of helping patients or helping the people that were helping patients. Um, one of the one of the many triggers for writing this book is I was I, I work a lot with physicians and and one of the physicians again in the early COVID days said Tom um, I can't remember the last time a senior executive came up to me and said how's it going with your patients is there anything we can do to help you with your patients uh, he said if I see a senior executive the only thing they say to me is did you hit your numbers today so this whole notion of focusing on profit over purpose has fundamentally shifted um, the reason that people are engaged in organizations. Uh, in the book, I talk about three layers of connectedness. One is shared values. You have to have shared values in order for people to uh, begin the process of engagement. Uh, one of the examples I use, and I'll use you, Eric, as, a, as part of my role play here, uh, let's imagine that you and I have become uh, co-directors of a project to produce the perfect menu for all the people on this planet Earth. And that's, that's a pretty nice job. The problem is that um, I own a cattle ranch in Texas and you're a vegan. Uh, in other words, our values are so incompatible that the possibility of us coming to agreement on a menu is almost zero. Uh, let's change the scenario to I own a cattle ranch in Texas and you own a pig farm in Iowa. All of a sudden, because our values are in alignment, we are now able to move forward on the project. So one of the, the, tip, the top things I talk about in the book is make sure that the people in your organization their core values, their personal values are aligned with the corporate values of the organization. That is a fundamental prerequisite to all engagement processes. If there's a misalignment, uh, the level of engagement will, will freeze at the, I want a paycheck, and that's the only thing reason I'm engaged with this organization. However, if you have values that are aligned, you can then move on to the second layer, which is meaningful work. In other words, uh, I share the values of this organization and the work that I do as a nurse, a doctor, an account receivable, a HR person. The reason that my work is meaningful, it serves, it serves a, a, a degree of importance that uh, I understand and I want to continue doing it. And the, you find meaning in the vision. I, I, I tie, I have a model that I use in the thing I called where meaning uh, comes out of vision. Vision simply says, we are moving forward. We're going to be a success and you can be part of it. And that's an important connectedness of, um, again, when I use connectedness, it's another word for engagement. And then the highest level of organization uh, is purpose. And purpose comes out of the mission. Missions are, uh, are statements of why the organizations exist. And when someone finds themselves connected at the level of purpose, at the level of mission, all of a sudden it transcends uh, self, it transcends time, it transcends space, that you are something um, part of something much better. We see this a lot uh, sometimes outside of organizations and in, in religious preferences or, or supporting particular uh, political parties or people find themselves being part of something bigger than themselves and they're extremely enthusiastic uh, and highly motivated to stay at that level. So when you're talking about uh, purpose, uh, you have to talk about the corporate culture. I mentioned earlier when you asked me the question about variability, and I said, all you have to do is take a look at the senior executives 
leadership philosophy, and that'll tell you whether people are engaged or not. Well, if you're talking about uh, finding purpose and high level of engagement, you have to talk about corporate culture. Corporate culture, quite simply, is the organization's personality. Uh, in, in, the, in corporate culture, we, we have uh, an acceptance of mores, of beliefs, and everything is, everything is tied to behaviors that move the organization forward based upon your mission, your values, and your vision. Um, the uh, thing that I, I, I emphasize in the book, and I actually have written another book about it, is that human capital drives financial capital. So when, when organizations are led by uh, theory why leaders and that they have a strong corporate culture where people feel that they control the decisions that affect them, that they feel valued, they feel respected, uh, and they, you know, of course, they get paid fairly and stuff like that, then you're going to have a very high level of engagement. Um, my notion is instead of focusing on productivity, uh, we need to start focusing on meaningful work, which is the values and vision and organizational purpose, which is the mission. Uh, the two factors that motivate all workers is a sense of control and a sense of purpose. If I feel that I can control the decisions that most affect me and that I find meaning and purpose in my work, uh, motivation is not an issue and high levels of engagement are the outcome. So that's how I see, um, I see the... Um, the question, the answer to your question about meaning and purpose, it all lies in the corporate culture and that people feel that they have some control and they're part of something bigger than themselves. Well, Tom, this entire podcast has been full of fantastic advice for healthcare leaders. So, so wrap us up here with, with, with maybe a way for healthcare leaders that can, if it's step one in the process, um, help rediscover, reconnect, uh, help their workers reconnect with their calling, improve that employee engagement that you were describing. Okay. The first thing I, um, I have a grid in the book where I, I separate out organizational um, employees as stars, uh, uh, skeptics, cynics, slugs, and um, the people that are stabilizers. So you essentially have five groups of people in any organization. Your stars are, uh, I have a question that, uh, think about the people with whom you work. Who in that particular group of people consistently behave at a level that you wish everyone behaved? So when you have high performers, people whose behavior is always uh, exceeds expectations, those are your stars. That's where you start. You start by interviewing your stars. Again, do a re-recruitment interview. Um, if you have some ideas, uh, run them through the stars. Um, a guy named John Cotter at Harvard talked about change and the guiding coalition. Your stars are your guiding coalition. Uh, then the second level is your skeptics. Uh, these are people who are extremely creative and bright, but they tend to live on the edge. They tend to see the world a little differently. Uh, these are the people that can generate new ideas. Uh, I always talk about mining, like gold mine, copper mine, silver mine. Mine these people for ideas. Uh, sit with them and ask them, what would you do differently uh, over the next one, three, five years to improve patient care or whatever your particular vision and mission is? And then take those ideas and give them to your stars. The important part about this grid is you need to ignore the cynics and the slugs. The cynics are people that constantly complain, and slugs are people that perform at a, at a minimum level just enough to, 
to get their paycheck. So focus on stars, mind your skeptics, and then um, ignore the cynics and slugs. And then there's a whole big bunch of people called stabilizers. Just make sure they're, they're uh, getting what they need to do their job. They're, not, they're never going to be stars or, or any of the others, but they're going to do their job at a very high level. Um, one of the, uh, you asked about metrics. One of the key metrics that I suggest to CEOs, trustees, CFOs is take a look at your professional development line item uh, on an annual basis. Has, it been, has the line item for professional development been increased? One of the problems we saw during COVID is people lost their professional development and they also, in many cases, lost um, compensation because of a revenue shortfall. So take a look at your professional development. As, as long as you're developing people, especially your stars and your skeptics, you're going to be uh, well ahead of the game. If you'll allow me one quick uh, story, um, and maybe we can end on, is that the, uh, a CFO goes into a CEO and says, uh, uh, I got bad news and I got good news. The bad news is we're bleeding red ink. The good news is if we eliminate one light item, we go from red ink to black ink in a heartbeat. The CEO says, well, what's the line item? He said, if we cut professional development, we'll save enough money on professional development to be profitable for the year. The CEO says, why would we cut professional development? And the CFO says, well, think about it. What if we develop these people and they just leave? The CEO thinks for a minute and says, well, what about this? What if we don't develop them and they stay? So my notion is if you want a simple place to start, start with professional development, work with your stars and your skeptics on you know, small groups. Uh, we call them you know, brainstorming groups or idea generating groups or whatever you want to call them. But that's where you start, and I think you'll um, you'll be able to move um, pretty quickly towards a higher level of engagement. What a fantastic interview! I've learned so much, Tom. It was a great, great, great time hanging out with you. I do want to remind uh, everyone: our guest today is Dr. Tom Atchison, president and founder of Atchison Consulting LLC. Uh, you can hear more from Tom at his upcoming boot camp at the 2022 Congress, or from his new book we've been talking about, "Reigniting Employee Engagement." That is available right now at ACHE.org/publications. Uh, Tom, as I mentioned, has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for your time, and of course. Uh, special thank you to all our listeners out there. Tom, really, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Eric. Great job. All right. And we'll see you next time on ACHE's Healthcare Executive Podcast. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.org.